Today the Matt Wall Show, you probably have not heard about it, but we have come very close to some major airplane disasters recently, and the government's diversity initiatives have a lot to do with it. Also, the media smeared a young child as racist for wearing an Indian headdress. Turns out the kid is Native American. Plus, the left is very upset about our new sports comedy. We'll look at some of their reactions today. And a new TikTok campaign urges people to dump the water out of their water bottles so that the oceans don't dry up. This is a real concern that some people really have. We'll talk about all that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. Since Roe v. Wade was overturned, the left has lost their mind, making abortion their official sacrament. But the grassroots pro-life efforts, which are now more important than ever, are booming. Despite the narrative, pro-lifers have not gone away. In fact, they've increased in number. One of the efforts I support is 40 Days for Life because they're changing hearts and minds in blue pro-abortion states. With 1 million volunteers in 1,600 cities, 40 Days for Life holds peaceful vigils outside abortion facilities. 40 Days for Life has uh, opened a record number of locations since Roe was overturned. And they've grown in volunteers. The success has come with new unwanted attention, though, from the DOJ. 40 Days for Life uh, just made national headlines because they're suing the DOJ on behalf of their volunteer, Mark Houck, who had his house raided by the FBI. They're going on offense against our compromised FBI and DOJ. You can help them fight their ongoing legal battles and pursue uh, free speech for their volunteers, including Mark Houck, by giving a tax-deductible gift of any amount at 40daysforlife.com. That's 40daysforlife.com. So here's an interesting thought experiment. Imagine one of uh, your friends comes up to you with a big smile on his face and tells you that he just got a brand new job. And he's vague on the specifics, but he says it's a federal government job and it pays six figures. And it didn't require any kind of uh, bachelor or associate degree or a physical fitness test or anything like that. But your friend does tell you that as part of the application process, he had to complete a, a couple of computer exams. And then as the conversation goes on, your friend recounts a few of the questions from one of those exams he tells you the questions went something like this, quote, would more classmates remember you as humble or dominant? What age did you first start making money? How many high school sports did you participate in? Now, at this point, you're thinking to yourself, well, that's a little bit odd. What kind of job would ask questions like this? It all sounds kind of uh, dumb and, and, uh, and unserious. So your friend reassures you that uh, he had to complete a second test as well. And the second test asked slightly more challenging questions like, what's the difference between the numbers eight and six? And if you answered two, then congratulations, you could also pass this test and get this job. Now, at this point, if you had to guess what job your friend just landed, what guess would you make? Based on all the information provided and knowing this is a government job, what would you think? Well, you'd probably make some obvious assumptions right away. You'd think at a minimum that whatever job your friend is gunning for in the federal government, it can't be that important. And indeed, there are a lot of very unimportant jobs in the federal government, jobs that were made for incompetent and unimpressive people. I mean, the government kind of exists to provide jobs for those sorts of people. So you might think, well, maybe it's one of those jobs. Maybe your friend got a gig in the, uh, you know, the Department of Education, for example, or the IRS. That would make sense. But then imagine that your friend informs you that he is not working in some frivolous government agency that contributes nothing of value to humanity. Imagine he tells you that, in fact, he applied to be an air traffic controller. And after just a few months of training, very soon, he's probably going to be directing planes with hundreds of people on board. Now, this may be a, a hypothetical thought experiment, but it is very much grounded in reality. I didn't make up any of the test questions I mentioned earlier. They're all based on real air traffic control exams or pra practice exams. Now, 10 years ago, this little hypothetical scenario would have been unthinkable. But everything changed very quickly in 2013 when the Obama administration embarked on a plan to diversify the ranks of air traffic controllers. Obama's FAA chief at the time announced that he intended to transform the agency, which includes air traffic control, into a, quote, more diverse workplace. As part of that plan, air traffic controllers no longer needed to take a more demanding cognitive assessment before being hired. Instead, all they needed was a high school diploma and the ability to speak English and apparently to do very basic math that like a third grader could do. All the tests were dumbed down to the point of being absurd and pointless. 
Now, the result over the past decade has been exactly what you would expect, even if you haven't heard about this. The number of air traffic controllers who are not white men has significantly increased, while the number of white men has decreased. That was the whole idea, according to the FAA. This is what they tell us. Coincidentally, so have the number of near collisions involving commercial airlines. Those have increased uh, significantly. According to a database maintained by NASA, which relies on data self-reported by pilots, the number of near misses has more than doubled over the past 10 years. In just the past year, there have been more than 300 near misses involving commercial airlines, averaging more than five per week. And just to emphasize that point again, they diversify the FAA and near misses immediately doubled. Now, correlation does not prove causation, but it can point towards it. And in this case, there is a giant glowing sign pointing in that direction. Of course, only a handful of these incidents receive any major media attention, so it's easy to underestimate the scale of the problem. No matter what social media platforms uh, you frequent, you don't really hear a lot about a lot of this. And that's why, in a moment, I'm going to go through some of the near misses that uh, have gotten very little coverage. But I'll start with an incident that did get some attention from the national news media because it helps put the broader problem into some context. So this incident happened in July when air traffic controllers put two aircraft, an Allegiant air passenger plane and a Gulfstream jet, on a collision course shortly after the Allegiant plane had uh, taken off from Fort Lauderdale, Hollywood International Airport. And uh, here's how that all played out. Watch. The FAA and NTSB are investigating a very close call in the skies over South Florida. An Allegiant Airlines plane and a private jet forced to take evasive action to avoid a collision at 23,000 feet. Here's Tom Costello. Allegiant Air 485 had just taken off from Fort Lauderdale, headed for Lexington, Kentucky, when it happened. The pilot forced to make a sudden extreme climb, 600 feet in seconds, to avoid another plane, throwing flight attendants to the floor and terrifying passengers, including Jerrica Thacker and her family, flying to Kentucky after a Caribbean cruise. It was honestly the scariest thing I've ever been through. It felt like when you go on the top of a roller coaster and you go straight down from the highest point. The FAA says it happened when controllers put the Allegiant flight and a Gulfstream business jet on intersecting routes both at 23,000 feet. Climb, climb. That's when both planes collision avoidance warnings known as TCAS activated, ordering the Allegiant pilot to immediately climb and the Gulfstream pilot to descend. If not for TCAS, these airplanes would have gotten very, very, very close or have potentially collided. Now, the report goes on to mention that the pilot's last-minute evasive maneuver was so extreme that it sent one flight attendant to the hospital. That's how close these things got. And if there's anything reassuring in that clip, something that might make you feel a little better if you, like me, plan on boarding a plane in the near future, it's that the automated software called TCAS saved the day. This is a system that relies on transponders that are installed on all domestic aircraft. And as you heard, it's capable of sounding an alarm in the cockpit and directing planes uh, away from one another if there's a risk of an imminent collision. It's a fail-safe for when air traffic controllers mess up and command planes to fly into one another. But TCAS isn't perfect. It certainly doesn't prevent all mid-air collisions. In 2002, two passenger jets collided over Germany because one pilot followed TCAS while another listened to the air traffic controller, who incidentally was later murdered by a family member by, of one of the passengers, that's a whole story. In fact, just this year, TCAS failed to prevent uh, a mid-air collision at an international airport in this country, Houston Hobby. And fortunately and miraculously, nobody died as a result of that collision, but it was very close to being disastrous, as you can imagine. And that incident illustrates the obvious, which is that uh, a fail-safe is just that. It's a fail-safe. It's not capable of solving all potential problems. It's not capable of solving all mid-air collisions, nor is it designed to especially when planes are, are close to the ground and covering a lot of ground very quickly in close proximity to one another, things can happen too quickly for the system to respond. And those are the kinds of incidents that are happening more and more often, I'm afraid to report. A month ago at uh, Portland International Airport, for example, an Alaska Airlines jet uh, turned directly into the path of a departing SkyWest airliner. Air traffic controllers didn't notice this until the planes were right on top of each other. And in that case, the Alaska plane was trying to land, but it had to execute a go-around because of high winds. And around the same time, the air traffic controller was telling a departing SkyWest plane to, to turn right. But for some reason, the Alaska pilot responds to that command, and he turns right, 
into the path of the SkyWest plane. The controller completely misses this until pretty much the last possible moment. Radar data shows that the planes came within 250 feet vertically and less than 2,000 feet horizontally, which is very, very close in uh, plane terms. An even closer near-miss took place in August at San Diego International Airport. Uh, Controllers cleared a private plane to land right on top of a Southwest plane. And they noticed their mistake just before the private plane hit the Southwest jet on the runway. The plane got within 100 feet of the Southwest passenger jet. Now, there's no TCAS system that can prevent something like that either. If the visibility had been worse um, and if the controllers didn't notice the problem, there would have been a collision and hundreds of people would likely be dead. You can go to YouTube and find uh, many clips showing these near misses. Most of them don't translate well for the audio podcast listeners, so we're not going to play them here. But I do want to show you one for those who can see the visuals. And this may be the most, uh, one of the most shocking recent examples. It's from JFK Airport in New York City earlier this month, which is one of the busiest airports in the world. Uh, an American Airlines passenger jet was lining up for its approach when air traffic controllers told a small private plane to line up for a parallel runway. But the private plane didn't follow that instruction. Instead, it made a beeline for the same runway the American Airlines plane was going for. At no point in this process did controllers notice the problem. They also didn't notice that the private plane's didn't read back the right clearance. Instead, the only person who noticed anything wrong were the pilots of the American Airlines jet when the private plane was already right on top of them. Uh, watch this. Good speed, 235, turn left, heading 260, intercept QT right localizer. Left 260, intercept localizer, good speed, 235. American 28, So if we hadn't bailed out, we would have collided, is what's said there. And that's what the pilot of an American Airlines Airbus said just a couple of weeks ago at JFK Airport. There was apparently no TCAS instruction to take evasive action. If there had been, the pilots uh, should have called it out, but they didn't. There was certainly no ATC warning. And one of the pilots just looked out of his window or maybe saw something on the screen and realized the plane was coming right for him. And he realized it just in time to save a lot of lives. Now, I could go on and on. There's the Southwest Airlines flight on July 2nd, which had to abort its landing at New Orleans International Airport because of a Delta plane that was taking off from the same runway. Uh, The passenger planes came within seconds of hitting each other. And that same month, an American Airlines plane nearly crashed into a Frontier Airlines jet on takeoff because nobody, including ground controllers, noticed that the nose of the Frontier Airlines jet was jutting out into the runway. Earlier this year, in February, an air traffic controller routed a Spirits airline flight within 200 vertical feet and 700 horizontal feet of a cargo plane. So you get the point. Now, it's true that we can't blame this dramatic rise of near misses solely on diversity and equity efforts. You know, single variable explanations are rarely sufficient, especially when you have a complex issue like this. For one thing, when Ronald Reagan fired more than 10,000 air traffic controllers who went on strike back in the 80s in violation of federal law, a bunch of new controllers needed to be hired. And many of those controllers recently hit retirement age all at the the same time, which creates a staffing crunch. And that's also part of the issue. But that staffing crunch was foreseeable. It's been obvious that it would happen since Reagan fired the controllers more than four decades ago. The problem is that instead of providing incentives for competent people to become air traffic controllers, say by raising the salary, providing more training, offering better hours, you know, those sorts of things. The government chose to do what it always does. It drastically lowered the standards in the name of equity. And the Biden administration is still proud of this. Right now on the FAA's website, you'll find this line, quote, the mission of the FAA involves securing the skies of a diverse nation. It only makes sense that the workforce responsible for that mission 
reflects the nation that it serves. Actually, no, that doesn't make sense. The job of the FAA and air traffic control is preventing catastrophic accidents where a lot of people die. Doesn't matter what the workforce looks like. Everybody knows this because deep down, everybody knows that diversity doesn't actually matter. Everybody knows that. And that's why no passenger on a plane has ever cared in the slightest about the racial makeup of the guys in the cockpit or the ones on the ground directing the plane. Just like nobody's ever cared about the diversity of fire departments when they're trapped in a burning building. Nobody's ever cared about diversity among brain surgeons when they have a tumor that needs to be removed. When it comes down to it, when it really matters, diversity doesn't matter. And we all know it. But unfortunately, that's what the FAA has been focused on lately. Just a year ago, the FAA launched yet another initiative to diversify the ranks of air traffic controllers, meaning to hire people based on qualities other than competence. Uh, the FAA calls this the BATC campaign. The agency says in a press release that, quote, building on last year's successful campaign to receive more applications from women and other underrepresented groups, the FAA will again work with diverse organizations, host Instagram live conversations, and work with social media influencers. So that's what the FAA is working on right now as we have this catastrophic rise in near misses uh, at airports and in the skies. They're working on getting more women and underrepresented groups by partnering with Instagram influencers. So they want to get people, you know, uh, into the tower as air traffic control. They want to get the, the sorts of people who are listening to Instagram influencers. So this is a, a disaster waiting to happen. That much is clear. What's not clear is whether we'll be getting a workforce that's capable of preventing two jetliners full of passengers from colliding with one another while they're each going in excess of 500 miles an hour. And that is alarming, to say the least, because every single week we're discovering that the existing crop of air traffic controllers is barely capable of doing that. Now, keep in mind, this is, this is all happening even as airlines also begin their own quest to add more equity to their ranks. It was only a couple of years ago that United Airlines pledged to diversify uh, its pilots, and many other airlines have followed suit. So very soon, we will have diverse air traffic controllers directing diverse airline pilots who have all been hired for reasons other than their skill and competence, while thousands of lives hang in the balance. And inevitably, Many are lost in the process because that's where this will go. Now, you often hear aviation experts say that uh, nothing ever gets fixed until a lot of people die, which is not a thought that will help cure your anxiety about flying, but it's true. It's what they say, and it's been true throughout the history of aviation. Planes didn't have wind shear detectors until commercial airliners started crashing in bad weather, just shy of the runway. TCAS wasn't mandatory until there were a lot of mid-air collisions. Pilots didn't have to de-ice until an Air Florida plane nosedived into, a, into the Potomac after sitting for too long on the tarmac on a snowy day. What this means is that if history is any guide, soon enough, we may finally start to get some solutions to the air traffic control debacle we're seeing right now all over the country, from Portland to San Diego to New Orleans to New York, to pretty much every other major metropolitan area in the country. And that's because, as problematic as it may be for the Biden administration's equity agenda, we're closer than we've been in more than a decade to a disaster of truly historic proportions. Like, it is going to happen, and probably soon. And when it does, a lot of people will die. And then, and only then, when it's too late, will anything be done about the problem. Now let's get to our five headlines. Grand Canyon University is an affordable private Christian university based in Phoenix, Arizona. They are dedicated to making education fit into your already busy schedule, which is why they offer 270 of their academic programs online. From scholarships to academic support, GCU's graduation team provides you with the personal support you need to obtain your goals. GCU's online programs offer you the freedom to earn your degree on your own time from wherever you are. GCU is praised for its culture of community, giving, and impact. They integrate the free market system and a welcoming Christian worldview into all their academic programs. Achieve your goals with a personalized plan and a supportive team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. That's gcu.edu. 
So here's an update on a story that uh, we closed with yesterday. Um, and this is from the Daily Mail. So as a sports reporter who accused a young Chiefs fan of racism against both black people and Native Americans has learned that not only was the child not wearing blackface, but he is a Chumash Indian to boot. Deadspin reporter Karan Phillips accused Holden Armenta of mocking black people after seeing a picture and profile, which did not show the half of his face painted in red of his beloved football team. Uh, Phillips also slammed Holden's Native American headdress and his tomahawk chop gesture, claiming the little boy had found a way to hate black people and Native Americans at the same time. This evening, it emerged that the youngster has Native American heritage with a grandfather serving on the Santa Ynez Band of Chumash Indians and that the team's multi-ethnic squad had enthusiastic, enthusiastically joined in with Holden's Indian chopping gesture. So there's a video um, of, uh, you know, there, there's more video of this, the, the kid at the game, and in one of them, he's doing the, the hand chopping gesture, and uh, he's like in the front row, and so there's a lot of the football players that are on the sideline, and they see him doing it, and they join in. And these are also, by the way, most of them black players. And they see the kid in the face paint, and they don't, and, and, and they don't start weeping because of how racist it is. Instead, they say, oh, it's, this is fun. The kid is here. It's great. Um, so this young boy was defamed as a racist for wearing blackface and an Indian headdress. But it turns out, well, he was not wearing blackface, obviously. And he's actually a Native American by heritage which is all just more ammo that I desperately hope is used in court to sue and bankrupt the parasitic fake journalist who wrote the article. You know, if, if, if this, I know it's easy to say, but if this was my kid, you know, I would make it my mission in life to ruin this man's life. Like I want him to wake up every day for the rest of his life regretting that one article. Every I want it the first thought in his head every day when he wakes up, and every night, every more, every night when he goes to bed. I want his, the, the the first and last thought to be, "Man, I wish I hadn't written that." Just no mercy. Um, is is the only way forward. That's what I would do. It's what needs to happen to these people. They are pure evil. They truly are. They need to pay, literally. This is, this is um, you know, writing a defamatory hit piece on like a five-year-old is, uh, you know, it, it's not like one of those things that maybe you might do as a journalist that's just like sort of vaguely over the line. There's a gray area and you, know, you went a little bit too far or, or whatever. There might be situations like that, but this is not that. This is so far over the line that when you turn back, you can't even see the line anymore. Okay, the line is somewhere past the horizon. This is, this is psychotic, evil behavior. This is just an evil person, the person who wrote this article, who needs to pay dearly for it. And it's going to continue. You're going to continue having these parasites who make money by trying to destroy the lives of random, innocent people for no reason, uh, they're going to continue doing it until they pay, until they are made to suffer serious consequences. Um, that's the only way. Now, with that said, I also wanted to make a point here that people are making a big deal out of the fact that the kid is Native American, apparently, but... And yeah, like I said, that, that in the de defamation lawsuit, which I certainly hope is, is filed, um, that, that I think fact will be, will be salient. But it doesn't actually matter. Okay, like it, it doesn't make this any more outrageous. Okay, it's not like if you're a, a rational person, it's not like you're going to see the hit piece yesterday, assuming it's a white kid. And say, oh yeah, well that, that was a good article. You should have written that. And then find out that he's, he's a Native American grandfather. And say, well, uh, never mind. This is totally wrong. Um, it was already out, as outrageous as it could possibly be. So this shouldn't be a thing where we say, oh, um, you called the child racist, but he's not white, so you're wrong. Because it, it wouldn't matter if he was white. It wouldn't make it any better if he was white. 
an Indian headdress, here's the point, an Indian headdress on a white child is just as innocuous and innocent and inoffensive as an Indian headdress on a child with Native American ancestry. There's no difference, actually, for normal people. There's no difference. And, um, and I think that's an important point to make. And that's even leaving aside the fact that um, if the child is American and he was born here and he's American and his family's American, um, then he's already Native American. He's native to this country regardless. So the distinction is irrelevant in the first place. All right, you've probably heard about the latest Disney flop over uh, Thanksgiving weekend, but um, I haven't personally had a chance to gloat over it. So let's talk about that. Uh, this is the Daily Wire's report on it. Disney's new animated film, Wish, failed to perform well at the box office over Thanksgiving holiday weekend. It's especially tough for the studio following the massive flop of The Marvels earlier this month. Wish debuted in third place at the box office, grossing just $19.5 million in its three-day opening weekend, um, which is, for, a, for an original Disney film on Thanksgiving weekend, $20 million is uh, abysmal. And it got $31 million over the five-day Thanksgiving weekend, which is also abysmal. This was significantly less than forecasted and doesn't come close to recouping the $200 million production budget. And I always have to remind everyone that when you hear about the production budgets, that's, that's only uh, the tip of the iceberg because that doesn't count the marketing budget, um, which could be even more than, than the production budget. So uh, the fantasy musical stars Ariana DeBose as the main character, Asha, and Chris Pine as the villain, King Magnifico. The synopsis says, young Asha makes a wish so powerful that it's answered by a cosmic force, a little ball of boundless energy called Star. With Star's help, Asha must save her kingdom from King Magnifico and prove that when the will of one courageous human connects with the magic of the stars, wondrous things can happen. And uh, Wish has a 49% uh, uh, rating on Rotten Tomatoes, so critics don't like it either. Audiences don't care. Critics don't like it. It's just a, it's a flop all around. And this is, you know, there was a, a run there. There was a stretch, and we'll talk about this in a second, where, like, every Disney film was not only a smash success commercially, but was also critically acclaimed. If you go to Rotten Tomatoes, however much stock you put in Rotten Tomatoes, which I think that Rotten Tomatoes is... is you know, it's actually, it gets a bad rap, but it's, there are exceptions, but it generally gives you a pretty good idea of whether a movie is good or not. Um, so it used to be that every film is a, is a commercial smash success, and every film has like 95% of Rotten Tomatoes, and uh, now the exact opposite is the case. Nearly every film they're putting out is a flop, and uh, everybody hates it, and even the critics can't find a reason to like it. Now, um, th this this is... Just Thanksgiving weekend, but really uh, this whole year has been bleak. Here's IGN on that. Um, after Wish's underwhelming opening this past weekend, the spotlight is on Disney once again, and the rough year this once incredibly reliable brand has had. To specify, as Variety pointed out in a recent analysis of this troubling box office streak, Disney looks primed to end 2023 with a single with, without without a single movie crossing the one billion dollar mark. To be clear, the billion-dollar mark is not an easy one to cross. Only two movies, Barbie and the Super Mario Brothers movie, have done it this year, but that used to be nearly a given for Disney. Um, we're not going to count 2020-2021, which were uh, abnormal years because of the COVID-19 lockdowns. Um, but going back to pre-pandemic times, Disney had a whopping $7 billion hits in 2019 alone. So they had seven films in 2019 that went over a billion dollars. Uh, last year, they had one, which was Avatar, and this year they have none. So it is trending in exactly the uh, wrong direction if you're Disney. Now, we've talked about why Disney is falling apart. Um, partly, it's a, it's a total lack of originality. You know, that, that's some of this. Like, these movies just aren't very good. They're not original. They're not innovative. They're not, they're not interesting. It's the same thing over and over again. Uh, you know, it, it turns out that these franchises, you can only go back to the well. Like, eventually the well does dry up. Now, this Wish film is not a franchise film. This is actually their attempt at something like, a, uh, you know, a, 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 an original film. But it's bad. 
And um, nobody cares. Nobody wants to see it. But then the second thing is also, um, and Disney has recently acknowledged this, in fact, that their foray into the culture war has been a total disaster for them. So that's the other thing that we should acknowledge here and that you're not going to see this. Certainly, you're not going to see any mainstream media report that acknowledges this, but it's true that uh, Disney, you know, we can put them in the Bud Light ca- category. That, that's a, it's a big part of the story here. That their failure is at least partially, a big, in, in, in large part, I think, um, a success of conservatives in the culture war. You know, Disney decided to go to war against conservatives in a very direct and kind of deliberate and explicit way. And they lost. They lost the war. And now they have a, a year, at least a year of flops to show for it. So again, you're not going to find any media report that acknowledges that. You're not going to say that that will not happen. But it's the truth. The truth is that we pulled a we pulled a Bud Light on Disney too. So when you look at the success of conservative boycott efforts, um, and even boycott isn't I don't I don't even think that's quite the right term exactly. It's not exactly a boycott. It's kind of a branding effort. Okay, you have these companies that are trying to brand us a certain way as conservatives. Certainly, that's what Disney's doing. And we have turned around and branded them. So it's not so much boycott as branding. We successfully branded Bud Light, you know, a far-left, crazy, woke company, and it destroyed them. And we have branded Disney the same. And it's killing them, too. So this is, these, are, these are major successes for conservatives in the culture war. These are the kinds of successes that, uh, that seemed impossible for years. And that, and, that, and that even now, you have conservatives that say, this is not possible. You can't, you can't, take, you can't, you know, you can't make a dent in a company like Disney. Oh, yes, you can, because we did. This is not all happenstance. This is, this is deliberate. Um, and even in spite of that, you know, this is what makes it so remarkable is that there's probably nothing Bud Light can do. Bud Light is screwed forever. There's just nothing they can do. Uh, Disney, I mean, they could come back from this. Like, all they have to do is say, look, we, okay, we're, we're bound out of the culture. Where we, want not, we want nothing to do with it anymore. And, and, uh, and then, but then also start making films that people want to see. Just take the wokeness and the political correctness out of the films entirely. This wish film, from what I understand, it's it's uh, at least by recent Disney standards, it's not like overly woke, but it still is because, of course, you got the white male who's the villain, and then you've got uh, the protagonist has to be this young brown girl, and she wants to grant everybody's wishes, and the greedy, uh, horrible white man. Does, so it's like they they can't pull back from that. If they just pulled back from that. And started telling good stories, put the wokeness aside, put the political correctness aside. Um, if they just did that, then they could start churning out billion-dollar movies again. But they they can't. It's like they can't stop themselves at this point. They're on a, they're on a train that they can't stop, and now they're uh, paying the price for it, which I think is fantastic. Okay, LGBT Nation um, has this headline. As the left continues to, speaking of movies, continues to react to uh, our film we have coming out that's uh, premiering. Well, we're going to the red carpet premiere tonight, Lady Ballers. It'll be uh, available for everybody else on uh, dailywireplus.com on Friday. Um, Here's the headline from LGBT uh, Nation. I think it's LGBTQ Nation. doesn't matter. Right-wingers made a comedy movie attacking trans women in sports, and it looks terrible. Matt Walsh wears a wig and a beard in the role of a trans queer woman. We'll return to that in a moment, but here's the article. The far-right and viciously anti-trans Daily Wire has announced its first feature-length comedy film written to mock trans women and girls who are fighting for the right to participate in sports as their gender. A trailer for the film entitled Lady Ballers depicts a group of cisgender men deciding to to pretend to be trans women 
and join a women's basketball league as uh, one team with the intent of dominating the sport. The trailer calls the film the most triggering comedy of the year, a derisive uh, reference to the right-wing narrative that progressives are snowflakes who are easily triggered, and LGBT nation is, 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 I guess, trying to combat that narrative by being triggered by it. This is ironic, they say, considering that the people at the Daily Wire were so triggered by the existence of trans people that they made an entire movie about something that has never happened. Well, when you say something never happened, you mean like the existence of trans people has never happened? Because you're right about that. No, we're not triggered by the existence of trans people because we can't be triggered by something that doesn't exist. So I'm not triggered by the existence of trans people for the same reason that I'm not triggered by um, the tooth fairy. Now, if the tooth fairy existed, I would be triggered by that. The idea of some mythical creature coming into your child's window at night and stealing his tooth is very disturbing, and I'd find that triggering. But, but it doesn't. But the tooth fairy is a fantasy; it doesn't exist, so I'm not triggered. And it's the same with trans people. There is no such thing as a trans person, so it could not be true. There are people who claim that label. There are people who say they are trans. There are people who I who uh, quote unquote self-identify that way, but they are not actually that because nobody can be that. Just to be clear, um, the film stars several Daily Wire commentators, including one of its most well-known, Matt Walsh, who is known for his own tra- uh, anti-trans film, "What Is a Woman?" Okay. So I want to say something here, and I've seen this not just from uh, this website, but from uh, some YouTubers and others on the left reacting to the film, even though they haven't seen the film yet, Um, but all claiming that I am playing a trans person or a gay person or both in the movie. And first of all, how dare you assume my gender? My identity is not up for debate or discussion. My own personal journey is not something that that you should make assumptions about. And frankly, I don't believe that I should have to explain it to you. And just because I put on a wig, you know, just because I wear a wig and like a Buddhist robe thing or whatever it's called in the movie, that doesn't mean that I'm trans or gay. I could be. That's my own truth, though. That's my journey. That's my identity. Okay, that's my self-expression. That's how I choose to move in the world and to move through these spaces in the world. Now, as it happens, even though, again, I shouldn't have to explain myself to you people, I am not queer in the film, okay? Just want to make that clear. I am not queer, but I am vegan, which is close enough. So they came to me and they said, we need you to play a gay character in a movie. And I said, I can't do that. And they said, fine, you could be straight. And then I said, Look, let's meet in the middle. I'll be vegetarian. And that's how that came about. Or at least that's the version of how it came about that I want officially documented on Wikipedia. So uh, we'll go with it. It is, it is very, and, and then also, uh, probably the most offensive thing about this statement, Matt Walsh wears a wig and a beard. What do you mean wears a beard? This is, this is all real, okay? The wig, maybe not. Um, all right. Maybe staying on this topic a little bit, here's a viral video of a man who spent uh, thousands of dollars trying to feminize his voice in an effort to become a woman. And uh, it's an interesting video. Let's watch. All right, everyone, this is it. So glamorous, right? This will be the last recording with my old voice um, before I heading into voice feminization surgery. I won't be able to speak for two weeks, and then it'll still be another month before uh, I have 100% usage of my voice. So, uh, wish me luck, and I will see everyone on the other side. Okay, it has now been 15 months since my first voice feminization surgery. Spent $20,000, had three different procedures, This is probably about as good as it's going to get. So let's do a little before and after, but we are not going to do the tired rainbow passage. Instead, we are going to do lyrics from a late 80s UK band called Pop Will Eat Itself. Here goes, before and after. One, two, check, high tech in stereo, quad row, 
any way you go but loose. 1001 uses. We got the juice, the bruise, the fuses. The volume in this room is much too groomed. We need a big bad boom. Noise KO. Disco Inferno. Hey ho, yo, let's go. Let's rock the show. Blow the speakers, see them glow. So now you know. It's not what you do, but the way that you do it. The speakers you blew, but the way that you blew it. P-W-E-I, always knew it. We'll teach all this in a song. It won't take long, did it? We're through with it, hit it. Wow. Uh, all of that money and effort to end up looking and sounding like Satan in The Passion of the Christ. Uh, or maybe like Kathy Griffin. So, which there's very little daylight between those two characters. At, at best, and I mean... And I'm being very generous here. Maybe he sounds a little bit like my overweight female bus driver when I was in middle school who smoked like three packs a day and had been since the Carter administration. So at best, uh, maybe he's achieved that. I don't think he's even made it that far, though. And it kind of demonstrates the point that, that I always make, which is that, you know, if you're a man... We talk about men appropriating femininity, but they, they can't really do it. Like, they, they can never truly appropriate and inhabit uh, or even convincingly portray femininity. Uh, you will never really be feminine if you're a man, but, but you can reject your masculinity. You can't reject your manhood. You'll always be a man, but you can be um, not, you know, non-masculine, like you listen to that guy and you look at him, he definitely, he certainly doesn't look and sound masculine. Nobody would say that that's a masculine sound or a masculine look. He's still a man. He's definitely not a woman, but, uh, and he doesn't pass for a woman, but he also doesn't exactly look or sound like a man. So he is stuck in limbo and that's where all of these people end up. They end up in limbo. So, you know, kind of a visual metaphor. It's like, imagine uh, you have a great canyon, and on one side you have uh, men, and on the other side you have women. Well, th there's, there's no way that you can jump across. from one, these, these, The two sides are too far apart. There's no bridge connecting them. You cannot make it from one side to the other. What you can do, though, is just like hurl yourself down into the cavernous abyss and you'll still be on that side, but you'll end up as some kind of like mangled distortion of what you were before, which is what, which is where these people end up. So you got a lot of people who uh, were on both sides who are now kind of lingering in that abyss, and they're never going to make it over to the side they want to be on. They'll never make it back up to the side they should be on. And so instead, they're, they are forever stuck in this kind of abyss, this, this, this kind of... Uh, uh, no man's land, or in his case, no woman's land, because he's not a woman. Um, and uh, it's ultimately, it's it's quite sad. It's also absurd, and with absurd things, you can't help but laugh at them. So these are both appropriate responses. Let's get to was Walsh wrong. <laughs> Serious Rising says, I think the idea that putting any kind or amount of black makeup on your face constitutes blackface is totally ridiculous. That being said, the parents should have probably known better. I would argue they did know better and they allowed it just to be inflammatory. Um, I think there's no reason to think that whatsoever. There's no reason to think that they were, what, like uh, dangling their five-year-old child out as bait for internet trolls? Um you have to be pretty much the worst parent on earth to do that. And I don't think there's, I think it's very unfair to assume that these are the worst parents on earth. No, here's what you assume is that these are just normal people who are not terminally online. And the thing is, if you're not terminally online, and if you're not scrolling Twitter all the time, uh, like I am, then you wouldn't even think like, you know, th those of us who are immersed in this world all the time, um, unfortunately, yeah, you might, you might see black, any kind of black makeup on someone's face, and you kind of know because you're so jaded and cynical 
uh, you, you, you know, it's like, yeah, hey, yeah, some, someone's stupid enough out there to intentionally misinterpret that. But if you're a normal person and you're not spending all your time, then you don't even think that way. And it's hard for those of us who have our minds polluted by being immersed in this stuff. It's hard for us to even understand how normal people think. And a normal person who is not immersed in it, it wouldn't even occur to them. But you got black makeup, uh, uh, you know, black and red makeup. Like, what? You wouldn't even think that there'd be a problem with that. You also wouldn't think that there'd be a problem with, with the headdress. Again, if you're not immersed in all of this and, uh, and, and you're not online all the time, and even a headdress, you go like, wait, he's a kid in a headdress. We're at a, it's the Chiefs. We're at, he's doing the tomahawk chant. Like, what do you mean? People have been doing this forever. What's the problem? And you would be correct to see it that way, that there's no problem. There's no, there's, it's, it's perfectly fine. Um, so I think, uh, I think maybe you are a, a very jaded person and very cynical like myself, and you're assuming that everybody is that way, but everybody is not. Now, sadly... This family, now they will be, uh, but, uh, but before this, I think they weren't. I think they just went to a football game and were having a fun time and like had no concept that this would lead to any kind of public attention whatsoever. Uh, Ray says, so I was the only one that heard Kevin McCarthy say America is not a country, not only a country, but also an idea. He didn't just say it was an idea, and he's sure... Uh, didn't say that we couldn't protect the physical part of it. Something could be a physical thing and an idea. Um, well, n- no, it can't. Uh, something cannot be a physical thing and an idea at the same time. Now, you can have ideas about a physical thing, but the thing itself is not an idea. So, for example, the chair that I'm sitting on right now, I could have ideas about it. You know, I can look at it and think to myself, there's a chair. And so I've had an idea about the chair. But the chair itself is a chair. The chair is not, you wouldn't look at this chair and say, well, that's both a a chair and an idea. That's not merely a chair. It's an idea. No, it's not. It's just a thing. And any ideas you have in relation to it are just ideas in relation to it, but they are in relation to the physical thing. They are not the thing itself, right? Which is why I stipulated like a house before it exists physically, is only an idea. It is a plan you have to build, but you haven't done it. Once you do, it's it's not an idea anymore. It is entirely a thing, and it would not be accurate to say, well, my house is both a house and an idea. No, because whatever ideas you have in relation to your house are not the house itself. And I know this sounds like semantics, and it probably is, but it's an important point when it comes to this thing about country, the country is a country and an idea. Now, granted, I think that most of these uh, boomer conservative types who say this stuff, they don't really think it through. They don't think about, they don't totally think about the, the just like you, they don't really think about the implications of what that means or how nonsensical it actually is. They certainly don't think to themselves, you know, like no one, no one else says that about their country. This is something that only we say. If you're from China, right, you you would never say, well, China is both a country and an idea. And if that would make any sense about China, then it doesn't make any sense about America. Like, America is not any different in that sense. There may be different ideas underlying, the, like, that, 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 that underlie the, the formation of the United States, but um, countries are countries. And uh, they all kind of operate the same way in that way. They are physical things that you have to protect physically. Um, And finally, Paula says, still going to say it. Chauvin had a duty to care. People screamed at him that Floyd was unresponsive and he didn't act. I don't know how big of a crime that was, but it was a crime. Well, I don't agree with you. I don't think that it is a crime. I don't think that is, but that's not the crime that he was charged with. So even if I did agree with you, we would both have to agree that he was uh, falsely convicted. But, and that's not what anybody says about him, right? That's never been the, that's not, that wasn't the criminal charge. That's not what anyone says. You know, it's not, 
Oh, uh, George Floyd was having an overdose and Derek Chauvin failed to administer care in time. That's a whole different narrative. And that's also a narrative that does not, if that's all that anybody ever thought about this, it, it, 2020, the riots never would have happened. Nobody would have remembered George Floyd's name or have ever even known his name. It, it would be kind of like a non-issue. Um, no, all of this is centered around the claim that Derek Chauvin directly killed George Floyd, which is false. And that's important to establish. I also think that your claim is false as well. Um, I, here's the way I look at it. Uh, if you are going to overdose on drugs or commit a crime, it's like you're better off choosing one or the other. I mean, really don't do either. The best case, best thing to do is to do neither of those things. Don't commit a crime. Don't overdose on drugs. Uh, to do one of those things is a, is a, 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 a horrible decision that could have horrendous results for you. If you do both, then you have just made a series of choices that are so self-destructive and so suicidal that whatever happens next is 100% your fault. And so when George Floyd decided to commit a crime and then overdose on drugs or overdose on drugs and then commit the crime, whatever, whatever order these things happened in, um, he, he, everything that happened as a result is totally on him. Because now you've put the cops in a position where, okay, yeah, you're having some sort of medical thing. You're also, you also committed a crime. You're also resisting arrest. Like, they have to deal with all of these things. You know, you're, you, you are a, a very large man who has committed a crime. You're resisting arrest. They can't just let you go. And so they have to deal with all these things at the same time. And it's pretty obvious that the cops in this case, like, their first priority was, like, let's restrain this guy. Let's make sure nobody else gets hurt. And um, in the process, he died by his own because of the overdose. So I guess that's really the way of putting this is that their priority, when you've got this man who committed a crime, he's this large guy, he's resisting arrest, he's overdosing on drugs. He is now a physical threat to the officers and to the people around him. And the first priority is not to save George Floyd from the consequences of his own stupid actions. That's like priority number five on the list. The first four priorities are let's protect everybody else. And if we can get around to saving your from this dumb thing you've done, then we will. But our first priority is not you. It's everybody else. That's the way it goes. When, you just, when, you're, when you're a criminal and you go around doing drugs and all that, like now every... The fact that he's that he's tripping on drugs, that alone also makes him a danger to people around him. He's, he's irrational. You don't know what he's going to do. And so if I'm in that position, my first priority is let's get this guy restrained. Let's make sure he can't, I, I want to make sure he doesn't harm me. Okay? And I want to make sure he doesn't harm anybody else. Um, and that's it. And, and, and that, should be, that should be the end of that story. And the only moral of the story is, don't don't poison yourself with fentanyl, and if you do, don't they'll go go then and uh, and commit a crime, like go call, call an ambulance instead. Remember when we were allowed to laugh at things that were absurd instead of having to say that uh, they aren't absurd at all, and in fact that they're very good, and you're a very bad person for thinking otherwise. Well, back when Hollywood could make comedy films like Dodgeball or Wedding Crashers or Tropic Thunder uh, without having to toe some politically correct line. Uh, you know, well, the Daily Wire is is, uh, is tired of this situation, tired of not laughing. And this Friday, we're dropping the most triggering movie of the decade so far. It's a sports comedy about the funniest thing to ever happen in sports, grown men who cannot beat other grown men, calling themselves women, and then absolutely dominating girls who spent their entire lives training to be the best. Every studio in Hollywood should be racing to make this movie. They aren't, they won't, they can't, and so we are. Their worldview simply will not allow them to say what virtually every American knows to be true, that men are on average faster and stronger than women, that the entire reason we created women's sports was to keep men out, and that men cannot become women, no matter what some clown with a PhD in gender studies says uh, about it. It's just not possible. 
You're allowed to believe those things, and you're allowed to laugh at people who don't believe them, and now you can. Here's a look at the official trailer for Lady Ballers. Here it is. In a world where women's sports is being transformed, the Daily Wire calls foul with the most triggering comedy of the year. Guys, this is serious. Sports can be your pathway to a better life. Well, like yours? <laughs> Please don't steal my catalytic converter again. Winning matters. It's the key ingredient in becoming a winner. Maybe you should try it sometime. Are you gonna move? I am not. <laughs> Let's cut to the chase. I know you're not a woman. Hey, you don't know how he identifies. If you can beat them. What do you know about the US Opens for the Global Games? You want us to compete as women. $5,000 prizes. My lover says you were a great coach back in the day. Join them. This is the way the world is now. My eight-year-old daughter told me all about it. So a guy can become a girl with no physical changes at all. Oh, that's called gender fluid. So I can be a woman on the court and a man in the bedroom. I can't believe it. Nice. You mean when you're sleeping? Yes. Coach. Alex. We, we could play, play basketball. basketball. We'd have to get the whole team back together. It's time. We're in. I'm in. I'm in to play Lady Baldus. Mount up. Like a girl. That's right. I'm with her. Oh. I'm leaving my truth. This is my truth. Heroes. Day one of being a girl athlete. <laughs> I love being a girl. To Sheroes. We could dominate every woman's sport. Running. Swimming, soccer. I said sport, Felix. It's ladies basketball, boys. Nobody watches. Excuse me. Are these seats open? <laughs> ne never mind. Getting dunks. <laughs> and tucking trunks. No, she didn't. That's the biggest I've ever seen on a lady. I don't care. Lady Ballers. One can even be trans-age now, which provides Sheelix with a wonderful opportunity to relive all the experiences that she missed out on in school. <laughs> Streaming exclusively on Daily Wire Plus, December 1st. But you can only watch Lady Ballers with a Daily Wire Plus membership. Don't have a Daily Wire Plus uh, subscription yet? Well, join the Daily Wire Plus team and get $50 off your new membership right now. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe to sign up for exclusive access. Don't miss the Lady Ballers live premiere event on Daily Wire Plus on Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Don't want to miss it. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. You know, the holidays are here, and while you're out shopping for your kids, family, and friends, don't forget to shop for your pets, too. I know I never do. Give your dog the gift of a healthier and happier life with Rough Greens. Naturopathic Dr. Dennis Black, the founder of Rough Greens, is uh, focused on improving the health of every dog in America. Before I started feeding my dog Rough Greens, I had no idea that dog food is dead food. It contains very little nutritional value. Think about it. Nutrition isn't brown, it's green. Let Rough Greens bring your dog's food back to life. Rough Greens is a supplement that contains all the necessary vitamins, mineral, minerals, probiotics, omega oils, digestive enzymes, and antioxidants that your dog needs. You don't have to go out and buy new dog food. Just sprinkle Rough Greens on their food every day. Dog owners everywhere are raving about Rough Greens. It supports healthy joints, improves bad breath, boosts energy levels, and so much more. We are what we eat, and that goes for our dogs, too. Naturopathic Dr. Dennis Black is so confident Rough Greens will improve your dog's health. He's offering my listeners a free Jumpstart trial bag so your dog can try it. Get a free Jumpstart trial bag delivered straight to your door in just a few business days. Go to roughgreens.com slash Matt or call 844-ROUGH-700. That's R-U-F-F-Greens.com slash Matt or call 844-ROUGH-700 today. You know, in the modern age, people tend to be very socially conscious. We live in a culture filled with extremely selfless and empathetic individuals who we're always looking to get involved in worthwhile social causes. That is, just as long as the cause requires them to expend little to no effort and contribute nothing of value to the world. 
We love to come together for no reason and rally around nothing to do nothing at all. This is the most popular sort of activism around, and TikTok is the best place to organize these kinds of charitable endeavors. So here's the latest. A new viral TikTok video has called attention to the scourge of, quote-unquote, trapped water. What is trapped water? Well, here's a user who goes by the name Spread Your Dreams, explaining uh, in a video that has been viewed now over three million times, and here's what she says. Okay, I just picked this up. It's a full bottle of water. And I'm on this quest to dump out any water that gets trapped in the plastic because once it's trapped in these plastic bottles, we now have lost it basically forever. So it's really important when you see, hi doggo, when you see water that's discarded to open it up and dump it out. Um, alternately to make sure that when you're done with water, and that goes for like, you know, juices or sports drinks or whatever, dump that shit out if you're not gonna use it. Because if you don't, it's it's trapped forever and we've lost that water um, to our ecosystem. So, thanks. Uh, so there it is, the new current thing, free the water. If you find a bottle laying around with liquid inside, dump the liquid on the ground. Don't even worry about what the liquid is. Just, you know, dump it on the ground. And if you don't, eventually the earth will run out of water. And this is an idea that may sound completely insane, because it is, but it resonated with uh, the folks on TikTok. Here are the top comments on that video. Somebody named Simply Sarah says, not me teaching the water cycle today, but never thinking about this. Ken's says, trapped water just ruined my day. Rachel Okeke says, I've thought about this every day since I learned about the water cycle, and this video makes me feel so validated. Another comment says, we'll now be anxious about trapped water forever. Another one, no, seriously, this freaks me out. All water has to go back to the rain cycle. Yes, we must facilitate the water's journey back into the rain cycle. That's why I typically, what I will do is I'll bring all of my half-empty water bottles up into the sky in a helicopter, and I empty them directly into a cloud because that is the safest and most environmentally friendly strategy, I think. The ocean's not going to dry up on my watch, I'll tell you that. But still, many TikTokers are now very concerned about the trapped water problem because some random woman made a video about it. This was followed by a bunch of other videos from other people on the platform talking about how anxious this issue has made them. Watch. Is anybody still thinking about that lady who's talking about trapped water in water bottles? I've thought about it every day for, I don't know, two weeks now. Um, makes me very sad. Every day she thinks about water in water bottles. Now, as expected, soon the media joined in. Yahoo published an article with this headline, Woman warns about the dangerous phenomenon that is trapped water. They report, one TikToker recently created a video titled Free the Water to inform her viewers about the dangers of trapped water and the need to dump out liquids contained in plastic bottles that aren't going to be used. According to the Texas Water Quality Association, trapped water is indeed a big problem. In the U.S. alone, we waste 22 million gallons of water each year in landfills due to trapped water inside plastic water bottles, the organization wrote on the QWET website. Quote, uh, that is 22 million gallons of water that we will never get back into the Earth's water cycle. The organization went on to point out that fresh water makes up an extremely small fraction of all the water on Earth and that there is no new water being created. The water that exists on our planet in the atmosphere is all there is. That means that when we effectively take it out of circulation by trapping it indefinitely in plastic, that decreases the total water supply for all life. Okay, now, I'm no water experts, expert, but let me just be the first to say that this is all a bunch of insane nonsense. And to begin with, a small fraction of the water on earth is fresh water, yes, but a huge fraction is salt water, and the salt water becomes fresh water when it evaporates. So water from the ocean goes up into the sky as a gas, and it comes down as fresh water. That's why the rain is not salt water, even though much of it is coming from the ocean. So that, that's the way it works. 
And um, altogether, the earth holds about 326 million trillion gallons of water. A typical bottle of water is 16 ounces, which means that there are eight bottles in every gallon, which means that the earth has uh, enough water to fill 326 million trillion bottles eight times. And that means it would take millions of years to even begin to noticeably deplete the water supply by leaving water trapped in water bottles. Okay, we could, you could try to do it. We could all band together as a species and say, we want to dry up the oceans with water bottles and we would just like spend all day filling water bottles from the ocean. And it would still take us millions of years to achieve this. But actually, you couldn't even do it in a million years. Because water bottles will decompose eventually, and they'll decompose in about 500 years. And, and, and so by the time you get to millions of years, all the water bottles have decomposed, and the water has escaped. And even that is irrelevant because it's not even true that water left in bottles will not be able to escape until the bottle decomposes. In fact, if the cap was ever opened, then the water will still evaporate and escape from the bottle from the cracks, you know, where the cap was opened in a comparatively short amount of time. And if for some reason the bottle was never opened and yet discarded, it will almost certainly be compacted and crushed at the landfill, at which point the water will come out and escape. So, to review, it would be impossible to significantly deplete the water supply by leaving water trapped in plastic bottles forever. And it's also impossible to leave water trapped in plastic bottles forever anyway. Because plastic uh, may take a long time to decompose. It is not magical, uh, you know, indestructible material, however. It is not eternal. At the absolute most, it would be trapped for 500 years, which is a long time, but not forever, and not nearly enough time to make a dent in the water supply. But in reality, the water in the bottle that you throw into your garbage will almost certainly be freed and traveling back up into the atmosphere in the form of a gas within the week, if not sooner. So everything about this trend and the logic behind it is false and stupid and ridiculous and not based in science or common sense or any notion of objective reality at all. But it gives people a new thing to pretend to worry about for a few days, and it gives them a very easy way to pretend that they're making a difference in the world. Just dump out your Gatorade, and suddenly you're saving 8 billion people from dying of thirst. It doesn't make sense, but if you're very stupid, it might make you feel good about yourself. Which, of course, as we know, is all that matters, at least in the minds of the trapped water crusaders who are all today, we must say, canceled. That'll do it for the show today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Talk to you tomorrow. Have a great day. Godspeed.